We sang a couple of songs this morning. We sang Battle Hymn of the Republic. The Battle Hymn of the Republic, this victorious song, didn't come in a time of victory. It came in a time of great anguish. The song of the Star-Spangled Banner, our national anthem, was composed while a man was watching the storming of one of our forts during the War of 1812. And the flag was still standing in the morning, and he wrote about the Star-Spangled Banner. Most of our songs that move us deeply come out of times of great anguish. They come out of times of real soul-searching. For example, the gospel song, uh, Amazing Grace. How many of you like to sing Amazing Grace? That song was written by the captain of a slave ship who because of the groanings and the chant of the men below the decks of his ship became unsettled and sought God. And out of that experience with God, he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet that sound that saved a wretch like me. You see, much of what we sing comes out of those times of our deep soul searching when we are in a place where we have to have an answer from God. And I would like to read a text for you this morning. It is found in Psalm, uh, Psalm 40. It reads like this, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for, uh, for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He did something else. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see. <laughs> They're going to see my song. They, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him because of the song he gave to me. Wow. Have you ever been in a fongo? Ah, good. I saw some wrinkled brows. What in the world is a fongo? Well, a fongo is a good word. When you look it up in the Spanish dictionary, the dictionary of the Royal Academy of the Spanish language, it will tell you that a fongo is lodo glutinoso. Did that help you? It didn't help you. Okay. Let's translate it into English. That translates as gummy mud. Gummy mud. A fungal is a place that you can't get out of by yourself. You need outside help. My first story of a fungal is when I was pastoring my first church as a little community right up against the Oregon border. The only fame of the entire region is that you buy potatoes that come from there, and that it is the home of the world's largest waterfowl refuge. Waterfowl refuge. During my first year there, my father came to visit me at my church. He was so proud of his son, the pastor, and, and I wanted to show him all the sights. Nothing to see. It's open desert. But there's this waterfowl refuge, wildlife refuge. And so I took him over across to what is the, the lower Klamath refuge, and we drove all the way back to, to, to the back end of it, and we saw millions. Literally, during the fall season, there are millions of waterfowl that are there. And so I showed him the pintail ducks and the mallards, and I showed him the, all of the different varieties of Canadian geese. And, and all of a sudden, I looked at my watch. I said, oh my goodness, I'm having too much fun. 
I've got about 25 minutes to get back. I'm also a part-time school bus driver, and I've got to meet those kids at 3 o'clock at, at the school bus. And I'm on the backside of that refuge, but I remember there is a shortcut across that comes in at the highway right at the, at the place where it is called White Lake. You know why it's called White Lake? It's white. All of the alkali water wash, washing out of the soil settles there, and it is just brilliant white, and you, that's where you see the eagles in the wintertime. But we got there, the, trail, the road comes across, and I looked across, and the trail kept on going across White Lake. And I got out, and I walked on it, and I stomped a little bit, and it supported me, and I said, okay, let's go, Dad. I had a Volkswagen bug. I put it in third gear, took off full speed across that last little stretch. We're only 100 yards from the, from the highway. I'd made it in about 100 feet, and the bottom disappeared. My Volkswagen had a belly pan underneath it. They said that it would float. It floated on the mud. It wouldn't go backwards. It wouldn't go forward. So I opened the door and stepped out, and I was in, I was in lodo glutinoso. I was in gummy mud. It was up to my knees. My dad was 70 years old. I thought he was the ancient of days. I realized that that's not too old now. <laughs> but I got him out and we walked, we walked through that mud up to the highway, hitchhiked to ride into town. With mud on my pants, I drove the school bus and a friend with a tow truck pulled me out. But that's a fungo. White Lake was my first fungo. But you see, not all fungos are physical or material. Some of these muddy pits are caused by sickness or the death of a loved one. Some of these fungos are those sticky habits that you can't seem to kick that the enemy of your soul wants you to think are permanent and you'll never get rid of them. Some of them are emotional, things that we can't explain that have led us into a period of depression. Some are seemingly unworkable relationships that happen even in marriages. Some are work situations where there are bullies or where the boss has unreasonable expectations of what we're supposed to accomplish. Some of those fungos may be financial, especially after this last year and a half that we've been through where everybody or so many people have been unemployed. All of these can provoke feelings of helplessness. We can't solve the problem ourselves. In the Psalms, there are repleted instances of David facing these kind of situations and calling out to God to rescue him from one situation or another possible, impossible situation. He's done nothing wrong, and the king with his army is trying to, to put him under and trying to kill him. And you hear him after, time after time say, oh, God, come and rescue me. And this psalm says that on this occasion, he said, I was waiting patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me, and he heard my cry. Now then, when he called for the Lord... If you'll notice in the text of your Bible, it is probably that the word Lord is written with a capital letter and then the smaller letters are not lowercase, they're uppercase. 
or there, it is all uppercase. That is a way that the translators have used to translate the four-letter word that we pronounce Yahweh, or in some, some versions, is pronounced as Jehovah. And what that, what that name is, what that Yahweh name is, is the name that God has as his personal name. It's a name that he gave to the prophet and said, hey, we're going to have a long relationship here. You need to get to know me. I, my name is not Mr. God someplace. My name is Yahweh. And he came into a personal relationship. And so when the psalmist is crying out to God, he's saying, oh, Yahweh, it's, not, it's a personal relationship. It is a God that he knows. It's a God that has been involved in his life. It's a God that has come to his rescue before. It's a God that he knows he can count on. It is his personal God. Yahweh was not a casual acquaintance. And I can assure you that he is always near when we have an unsolvable dilemma. So what did Yahweh do? Well, he turned to me and he heard my cry. He pulled me out of the fango. He set me on a place of solid footing. Other versions have it this way, and I, I like it because it says, he steadies me as I walk along. He the King James says, he established my goings. It means that he didn't just set you on a rock and abandon you. He helped you as you found your way out of this, out of this problem. Not only that, but he also gave me a new song. What is the theme of your song? <laughs> Did you know God has given you a song? What has God done in your life? What has he done for your marriage? What has he done for your family? What do you enjoy most about this relationship with this almighty God? You know, I want to ask you the question, do you sing your song? You should. That is a thing that, the reason he gave us that song. I am not in the, I don't know if you notice I'm not in the choir. There's a reason for that. Some of you stay on tune because I'm not there. That's right. When I sing, the crows shut up. You may not consider yourself a talented vocalist, but God has written a song for your voice, for only your voice. It can only be sung by you. Your song is unique, but it's meant to be shared. Your song is meant to be sung where others can hear it. It was given to you as a gift. It's a means of telling others about the goodness of our God, the goodness of the Lord. So don't just sing it in the shower. Or, excuse me. That's my favorite place to sing because I'm enclosed, nobody's around, and it doesn't make any difference. The sound that I make, I can sing to God. I sing in the car. I sing when I'm by myself. But I also sing my song in Walmart. Every once in a while, I'm going through the line to check out, and I notice that the, the, the person who is attending my needs has a downcast face. They look sad. They, they, don't, they look like they're at the end of their ropes. And I say, hey, let me sing my song for you. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. One of my favorite places to sing my song is in the doctor's offices. I love to meet a new physician because they always need a good story. 
I like to tell them how as a 21-year-old, I was on the way down a highway in California, just crossed the Stanislaus River coming out of Oakdale, when out of nowhere at 10 o'clock at night in a dark night, a three-quarter ton dark green Ford pickup with a 456 cubic inch engine in it came onto the highway on my side of the white line with no headlights and took out my Volkswagen Bug head on. It left me with an arm that the orthopedic surgeon said would never work again because all of the nerves were destroyed. There was no way to restore them. They had lost track. They couldn't, they couldn't sew the tendons back together again. And so this arm would be a dead member of my body for the rest of my life. But let me tell you, let me tell you, there's a God in heaven who understands those situations and who will step into this situation where humans can't help, but God can. And he likes to step into our fungos to pull us out. I sing my song in conversations on the airplane. I sing it to unbelievers and atheists. I love to see somebody that tells me that there is no God. I remember a time when I was with a youth group and we were doing door-to-door -door evangelism and I, I just knocked on the door of a home where nobody answered the door and as on the way out, a young man comes up to me and says, what are you doing here? I said, well, this is what I'm trying to do. I came to tell these people some good news about Jesus. He said, oh, really? He said, well, I am a student at the, at the Jesuit seminary. I'm in my fourth year. I'm going to be a priest. And I can tell you something, there is no God. A little conversation ensued and I said, okay, you say that there is no God, so you won't mind if I pray to that God that doesn't exist for you, will you? I mean, it can't hurt you. He said, no, go ahead and pray. I said, all right. Laid my hand on his shoulder and said, oh, dear Jesus, here's a young man who needs the touch of your hand. And before I'd finished my prayer, that young Jesuit priest had tears running down his cheeks because in the midst of his darkness, God had reached in to enter him. I watching the clock, but I, I, I want to tell you about Luis Flores. This is part of my song. A few years, a few years back in Ecuador, we had a, a large campaign and about 14,000 people in attendance and it was with a, a, an evangelist from uh, Central America or from Puerto Rico and, and in attendance was a small family. And the 19-year-old daughter who was in that congregation without anyone prompting her or telling her, lifted her hands to God, rejoicing in the miracles she had seen taking place and began to speak in unknown tongues. That night when her dad got home from his office, you see, her father was the head of the uh, education department at the Central University. He was the director of all who were earning their doctoral degrees in education. The author of five textbooks, Two, over 200 articles published in journals around the world. He was a famous man. He was the leading communist professor in the nation. He was the one who got the students out on the streets to do the riots. And he came home from his office at 9.30 that night, found the most unusual sight he'd ever seen in his life. His entire family was on its knees, crying out to God for the salvation of their father. <laughs> this 19-year-old daughter walked over to him. She said, Daddy, I'm going to do something. I want to tell you that God is alive and that Jesus Christ is, is, is alive today. So let me, let me do this. I'm going to sing for you in languages I've never learned. And she began to sing. The professor said that he recognized at least five of the languages and there were a couple he didn't know. 
But the tune that she sang was the tune of a song that he himself had composed that was playing on popular radio at the time. He later said to me, Jerry, what do you do when you have declared that there is no God where you know there is no God? And all of a sudden he walks into your living room. Said that night I could not sleep. I laid in my bed in a cold sweat. The next day I went to my office at the university and, and I, closed, I, I closed the doors. I wouldn't let anybody in. I locked the doors. He said that I sat there all day long trembling because of the presence of a spirit I did not recognize. That night he came back home. Same, same scenes, same song, second verse. That 19-year-old daughter, if you can believe this, walked over to her father and began to prophesy, giving names, dates, and places of sins that man had committed. He fell on his knees. He realized that he was a place at a point of no return. He threw his hands toward heaven and he said, oh God, I am a fool. But if you can use me, if you can restore me, I, my life is yours. He got up off of his knees, a changed man, completely healed of several ailments. The next day, a revolution started on the university campus. In a few months, we had a university student group of over 400 students who were finding Christ as their savior. Today, he's the pastor of Abundant Life Christian Center in the city of Quito. You see, there's no place in your life or my life or in our world where this God of ours, this personal God, Yahweh, cannot reach. Can I tell you about Miguel Sanchez? In our first campaign, I remember a woman who came, she would come every night, she cried the entire service, she would come and stand on this side of the platform, just, just right, right there where I could see her when she would come forward to pray. She was weeping the entire time, her clothes were absolute rags. After a few nights, I noticed a drunk, forgive me, an alcoholic, but he was a drunk, come into the service about halfway through and he was so inebriated that he would take a hold of the center pole on the tent to keep from falling down and he would stay there and listen. He came back every night and I watched him. He would stagger in and he'd grab a hold of that post. After several weeks, I remember the first night that he walked forward and began to pray. A transformation began to take place in that family. I'm going to speed this up. A couple of years later, I was back in that town again, and it was on market day. On Wednesday, that city turns into, the, the population duplicates. There's, there's a central street that goes down the city, and everybody from the surrounding country comes to sell their wares. And I'm walking down that street. It's, it's quite a, a, an emotional situation. I'm walking down the street. Everybody's there and yelling. And all of a sudden, a man runs out of a store on the side of the street, runs out of the middle of the street and grabs a hold of me, gives me a big bear hug, and starts bawling. It's Miguel Sanchez, from the drunk who couldn't feed his family to a man who is now has his own business and is supporting his family and redeemed. Huh. Is that too much? Would you like to hear about, hear about Beatriz Jimenez? Beatriz was carried into one of our campaigns in the arms of her husband. She probably, she was frail. She probably didn't wear 90, weigh 90 pounds. But her husband carried her in and set her down. She couldn't stand. 
After the service, I walked back to find out what was going on. And her story was that the doctors had told her husband, take her home. She's only got about three weeks to live at the most. She should die at home, not in the hospital. There's nothing more we can do. We prayed for Beatrice that night. And I remember having in my heart the, the conviction that God was healing her. Would you believe that the next week on Sunday night, she was back? She walked in. Two weeks later, she had been to the doctor and that she said, Jerry, I need to give a testimony because I saw my doctor today. And he said, I don't know what is going on. The treatments that we have given you have saved none of our other patients' lives, but there is no cancer in your body. These are people who found themselves in a fungo. But our song, you see, is not just for us, it's also for others. Because God has given it to us so that we can, can share it with others. I, I want to just give you one final thought, and I will be through. And that is this. The 17th verse of this psalm reads like this. But as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord is thinking of me right now. But as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord, Yahweh, is thinking of me right now. I'd like you to take that personally. The Lord, the God of the universe, your personal God, is thinking about you. Sometimes when we're in these situations, we think, we wonder if God is hearing. We think that maybe he's forgot to listen. Maybe he's forgot who we are or where we are or what our need is. But I'd like you to take the words of the psalmist and understand that God is thinking about you right now. The Lord is thinking about you. He is your personal God. He has your best interest at heart and he will move to remove you, your situation. This, in, in Galatians, Paul says, that you will reap in due time if you don't faint. So be aware that God is searching for the ways and the means to answer you in his own time. He may not be in a hurry, but he's not forgotten about you. So whatever fango you might be in or whatever threatening situation you're facing, Yahweh, your God, your personal God, is thinking about you right now and he will respond. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here this morning. I pray that God will minister to you, that if you have found yourself in any of those situations where you have a, have a fango or a, a desperate situation that you cannot solve, that you don't know your way out of, call out to the Almighty God now. He is listening, and he's looking for a way to resolve your difficulty. Amen.